Premier Christian Newscast. Christians spend an awful lot of time thinking about how and why people join the church. But we rarely consider the opposite side of that question. All of those who leave. Every year, an entirely uncounted number of people just give up on going to church. Some will continue to believe and practice faith outside of a worshipping community. Others will abandon Christianity entirely. Who are these people? What motivates them? Should churches change? to become more porous or accepting of those who are deconstructing and considering quitting? And what, if anything, can churches do to try and stop such people leaving or encourage those who have left back into the fold? I'm Tim White and you're listening to the Premier Christian Newscast. This week we're exploring why people leave church with an academic, a minister and an author. Each of our guests have both studied and written on this particular question, but they also each have their own personal story of why they stopped going to church too. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for joining us all on the show. Um, If I could just start by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves. Um, Katie, why don't you go first? All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. I am Dr. Katie Cross and I am a lecturer in practical theology at the University of Aberdeen. Um, Current research at the moment, I have just started a research project on people who have left church and their experience of that. Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Robin, who are you? Uh, My name is the Reverend Dr. Robin Stockett. Uh, I'm newly retired Church of Ireland uh, rector living in Northern Ireland. Um, I have taught theology in the Church of Ireland Theological Institute and various other places in Germany. Uh, my doctorate was done in Tübingen in Germany and it was on the topic of imagination and the playfulness of God. And Olivia, who are you? I am, as you say, Olivia. I spent uh, 15 years working for various different mission agencies um, and then as a human rights consultant before uh, writing a book, a collective memoir of deconstructing faith, where I interviewed lots of people about their faith deconstruction journey. Brilliant. All right. Well, I'm really pleased to have all three of you on the show and talk about this topic because I think it's a really important thing that we don't talk about very often uh, in the churchy world. Um before we dig into some of the big ideas, I'd love to hear a bit more about of your own, each of your own kind of personal stories of being in church, leaving church, and, and the reasons and the story behind that. Um, would anyone like to share a little bit of their own kind of story? Uh, Olivia, you, you wrote, you, did you include any of your own story in your memoir? I did, bits and pieces, yeah. So I sort of, I did the whole kind of becoming a Christian thing formally when I was uh, 14. I got taken along on a Christian summer camp. And this was the first time I'd really come across charismatic Christianity. Uh, my family were fairly sort of Christmas and Easter type of type of Christians. Um, and I went all in. It was um, it was a whole new world and people were kind to me and I felt included. Um, and it was just, you know, it was something that wasn't school where I was deeply unhappy. 
Um, and I continued really with that um, through university. And then um, after university, I went overseas um, with a big uh, mission organization. I ended up working for them for 10 years. Um, and I think by the end of that, there were some questions um, which were really coming up for me, things like the role of women, things like who are same-sex relationships really hurting because they don't seem to be that harmful, um, things like that, things around um, human suffering, poverty, injustice, that kind of stuff. Came back to this country and worked for another mission agency, which was a completely different kettle of fish, much more uh, broad theologically, much more open to questions, much more... Um, it really gave me a, a basis to explore things. Um, and I think, you know, the questions grew through that um, and through being able to explore different theologies, uh, being exposed to a wider range of people and scholarship. And yeah, I think things, I just started really unpacking and unpicking the the assumptions that my faith rested on. Um, and as time went on, that sort of snowballed and I was looking for material on faith deconstruction. And there was quite a bit which was American based and not much which was British based. And we just we do have a different church culture, really plenty of overlaps, but lots of differences. So um, I had a sort of moment in lockdown where I decided that maybe I should write something. And then I had a moment where I thought I definitely shouldn't. Um, but the idea <laughs> didn't go away. Uh, so I started sort of researching and um, yeah, collecting people's stories. I enjoy hearing people's stories and um, kind of molded lots of stories together in, into a book basically and do you still go to church today or or, or is it just a very different kind of church to the churches you used to attend yeah I think part of the journey for me was really looking at what what is church or what do we need spiritually and I think I've I think as my idea of spirituality has changed so is my idea of church or what I need in that space and I find that I get a great deal of, of community and I suppose fellowship from, you know, going to my local village pub, which is very community based. Um, I live in a small community. I get a great sense of the divine from rolling on the floor with my dogs or walking <laughs> out in the hills. Um, and I have, you know, I, I still have some of my best friends are clergy. Um, but, you know, I, I have some fantastic friends who are clergy and who are open to discussions, interesting discussions. And um, it, it, it all feels like it fills a church space without being church in a traditional sense. But I will probably go to the carol service because the mince pies are really good. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, I saw you nodding along. Does, does much of Olivia's story chime with your own? Oh, Olivia's book is wonderful. Um, it's so good. And what I really like about it is your work, Olivia, um, it's it's people's real stories. And I think that's really powerful. Um, so that's how I came to my research. It was my own story about church leaving. Um, yeah, I suppose I have always been in church my whole life. Um, maybe sort of on the fringes of church. So involved in more kind of activism direct activism, uh, house churches, things like that. Um, and it just sort of built ahead with, yeah, similar issues to Olivia really around things like gender and sexuality. Um, who do we include? Why are we not including people as much as we should be? And that led to me leaving about four years ago. I thought it will just be for a little while. 
I might go back and <laughs> I still haven't um and that's yeah it's it's okay um I think when I first left church I wondered where I would fit um so as Olivia said the idea of deconstruction didn't really appeal to me because I didn't really feel like I had anything to deconstruct and so my research is ever so slightly different in that um I'm looking more at kind of ongoing faith that does come with some deconstruction but not necessarily um so there's a space for that as well and yeah it's it's definitely um not missional research as I'm finding it's quite good to be outside the church um and yeah I like spending time with my dog I like being in nature I like doing other things um on a Sunday Hmm. thank you and Robin what about yourself what's your own church story here uh, well, I, I wasn't brought up to go to church at all. So the whole church environment was, was completely foreign to me um, until I went to university and I met some Christians who seemed to have a very real and genuine faith, which I found absolutely intriguing and um, came to a faith myself in my first year at university. But I still hadn't really ever been to church. And then I started going to church uh, and I didn't know one church from another, and I was taken to an independent Calvinist Baptist church, which um, w- in one way was uh, intoxicating because it was very robust theologically and intellectually, and I, I enjoyed the stimulation of that. But at the same time, it was quite combative culturally and socially, you know, in the sense of everybody else is wrong apart from us, you know, that kind of culture. Um, and then my early 20s, I went off to work for a mission agency in Nigeria with my wife. Um, and I began to question question things. I've always been a question. I've always been quite curious about about what faith means. And I think one of the, the areas that I began to question was was how language is used. You know, especially the language of of calling and vocation, and how certain occupations were deemed to be more worthy than others. You know, and if you were a missionary, you were high up on the the hierarchy. Um, but I had a, a career in in education for seventeen years, and then someone suggested to me he was a diocesan director of ordinance in Peterborough, Peterborough diocese that I, I would. I had a, a vocation to the Anglican ministry, which at the time both surprised and horrified me. And um, I went for various interviews and was extremely ambivalent about the whole prospect because I'd always struggled with church culture. Um, but I came to the conclusion that you know, if this was the right path for me, I prefer to, to risk taking it rather than rejecting it and then ending up you know with regrets later on in life and so i was ordained in the anglican world uh, and served in various churches for nearly 25 years and then retired two years ago um but always always struggled with church even as a minister i struggled with it and during that time i was exposed to various different forms of spirituality um I was particularly influenced by Ignatian spirituality, um, by the Vineyard movement in the 1980s, uh, and more latterly by the, the Celtic Christianity expressed in places like Lindisfarne, Iona, and uh, the Northumbria community. 
Um, and then since retiring, it's quite strange if you're, in a, if you're in the business yourself, like I was, and then you become a punter. <laughs> and sit in the queue. Sit in the pew. That's quite an uncomfortable place to be, and I, and I've not found that easy. And I, I have, I haven't been to church services for a while now, but I I have still looked for and longed for a a form of Christian expression that I can be part of. And so more recently, we've been my wife and I have been exploring belonging to the Northumbria Celtic community. Um, and we found so far, we found that very enriching and fulfilling. So that's where I am at the moment. Thank you for sharing. Um, I want to spend most of the time talking about the various reasons people leave church. Um, but before we kick into that, I just wanted to set a bit of context. Does, do we have any idea of kind of overall numbers in the in the British scene? How many people are, you know, leaving church? We know that obviously Sunday attendance figures have been declining for a long time, but how much of that is just kind of Christians dying and not being replaced? And, and how much do we think is actually people consciously kind of deciding this is not for me anymore and, and walking out the door and not coming back? That's such a difficult thing to measure. Um, so I've started my research with a survey because I thought I need some numbers, Tim. I need to find out how many people there are. And it's really tricky because I think people are at all different stages of their, their own journey with that. Um, so you might ask them one week, are you a church leaver? And they might say no. And then two weeks later, they might have something might have happened. So it's really difficult to kind of gather those statistics and that kind of data. I don't know if either of you come across a number or I've come across American numbers, things like the Pew Research. Mm -hmm. um, but there doesn't seem to be a great deal in terms of British British numbers or British surveys that have really been done across the whole nation. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder to what extent do you think that every kind of church leaver's story is quite individual and quite unique versus there actually being these kind of broad overall society-wide trends that might lead to people leaving church? Do you guys have a perspective on, on that question? I would say both, really. Um, I mean, I, I, in, I surveyed 400 people and interviewed 140 of them um, and there was definitely, you know, definitely sort of unique stories. Everybody's story was a little different, but then there are broader patterns as to why people left, um, left or left the church they had been in. They hadn't all left church altogether. Um, and there were definitely, um, yeah, patterns there. And those patterns rang true whether they had left church completely or whether they'd moved to a different church, uh, whether they'd lost their faith completely or whether they had retained their faith. Um, the reasons, um, the triggers were, you know, th those were across the board, really. Is that what you're finding as well in your research, Katie? Yes. I mean, my research is quite new. So I've only just started a few months ago, um, like with the kind of qualitative part of it. But yeah, that's what I'm finding too, is people have shared stories and also individual stories. Um, so that there are a lot of interpersonal issues at play, as you can imagine. There are a lot of issues with church, power, um, hierarchy, things like that. But also, as Olivia says, there's kind of social movements away from church. So yeah, it's I think it's a bit of both. And what do you think are some of those bigger stories that keep coming up time and time again when you talk to people what are some of those common themes that you 
that you've seen coming through about why people are giving up on church? Um, so interestingly enough, just as an aside, um, most of my time I spend as a trauma theologian. So I spend speaking to people who have been pretty traumatized. And coming into this, I said to myself, I'm not going to bring the trauma side with me. Um, I won't ask any questions about trauma. I won't presume that people who are leaving church have been traumatized. Um, I think the big headline is I was completely wrong and a bit naive about that. And absolutely, there has been a lot of that. Um, as I know Olivia has found in her work as well, there's, there's quite a lot. Um, things like manipulation and abuse, um, real wounding of people through a lack of inclusion. So things like disability, mental health, gender, sexuality. A few of the people I've spoken to are getting professional help for that. Some of them have got PTSD. Um, so I think there's a real kind of silencing of that experience or that's not really been spoken about much so you know I'm grateful for other people doing work about it I think Robin's work's really good because it's very accessible as well um, and it asks a lot of really good questions about those those reasons for leaving and why those might be um, but yeah I think so far I'm finding that there are both major big reasons and then there are, there are smaller reasons but the majority of them tend to be quite traumatic and difficult. Mm. Uh, I, I, I wonder whether, and I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a researcher, so this is more anecdotal than anything else, mm. whether be, being human is, is really difficult yeah. <laughs> and, is very, and is very complicated, being, being a human being. And the tendency in churches is to, is to make make that very humanity too too simplistic that you know if you do be following three steps then your life will be better so it becomes quite prescriptive mm. and and i think it's i think that's part of the issue that you you listen to sermons or you hear stuff being said that you know if, if only you would try a little bit harder to follow these prescriptive formulae then your life will be improved and I think many people nowadays would sit there and think, well, actually, it's not that easy. And why am I sitting here listening to this when my life is that much more complicated and my daughter's or my son's gone off the rails or my marriage has fallen and I'm unemployed, I can't pay my bills, and you're talking about guilt all the time, which is not where I'm at. And so eventually they, 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 they just can't sit there week after week anymore and they want to find something that nourishes and enables rather than makes them feel worse did that come out in your interviews olivia that people just had had enough of of being made to feel bad at church yeah very much so and not just from the front of church but in terms of um the lyrics of worship songs um you know repeated over and over and over you know i'm not worthy i'm such a sinner um and I mean, that's that's almost become a sort of um, there are plenty of parodies of that because it's such a theme. But I certainly spoke to worship leaders who said I just couldn't sing that any longer because it was destroying me, even though I was getting paid good money. It was absolutely soul destroying. I think there's a very there's a culture of, of high demand. There's a culture of real um, control and intrusion into people's lives in some churches, not all churches at all, but in some churches, a real sort of um, intrusion and, and a, a seeking to control 
even people's you know thoughts what they do with their time what they do with their money who they date who they you know what jobs they do this kind of thing um and certainly you know i i was certainly subject to quite stringent controls on what you may wear and what you may not wear um and you know who you may speak to um and and this sort of thing um it's just endless sort of hoops to jump through um but also a real undermining with that guilt that robin was talking about a real undermining in trust in oneself um and and in one's own agency and the verses which were used um globally actually um so many people brought this up but the whole verse around you know the heart is deceitful above all else um and that a real almost an explicit attempt to stop people trusting their own their own thoughts their own emotions their own bodies um, and it was something which people found very, um, particularly women, um, found very difficult to come to, to come to terms with once they walked away from that, the church which had treated them like that, was to come back to a sense of actually, who am I? What do I like? A number of people actually said to me, I didn't even know what my favorite color was when I left because I wasn't allowed to have favorites it was all it all had to be what god wanted which basically meant what my leaders wanted um a, a real sort of you know getting to terms with actually my body is good my body's okay um it's not just purely sinful um the th- the thoughts that i have the way that i use my mind and my brain that's good it's not automatically to be distrusted this kind of thing was was really hard and as katie said you know a lot of diagnosed ptsd a lot of people needing therapy going through therapy um and taking years to recover from church which is such an awful thing to say you know it's it's such an awful thing to say but unfortunately this is this is happening yeah it's so jarring isn't it when you hear people talk about needing professional help Mm. to deal with what they've experienced in a church and you would think and this is I think something that we don't talk about enough and we don't know enough about um yet is that people experience all kinds of things in church which are just not the sort of things they would expect to experience Mm. um I I know I've, I've found the older I get um the less certain I become of certain of some things mm. things that I were very was very certain of when I was 23 I'm not quite so sure about now that I'm 67 and um, part of that I think is to do with how the Bible is is used because the Bible can often be used as a weapon to to batter people over the head you know the Bible clearly says xyz and I, in my reading of the Bible over the years, I've come to increasingly appreciate how subtle it is in places, how metaphorical it is, how much of it is narrative that has a variety of interpretations. Um, and, it, you know, one has to understand its cultural context, one to understand the, the linguistic forms of the Hebrew and the Greek, and all of this requires sort of a, de- a delicacy and a nuancing. Um, and then, the Bible, for me, the Bible then becomes alive. And it, certainly, when I've used the Bible in a sort of Ignatian way, with imagination and a, attention to one's emotional responses to text, then, it, then it's a very beautiful source of inspiration. But 
often it's not used like that. It's used more of a you know, proof texting and weaponizing and therefore a form of labeling and judging people. And I think people get tired of that. And yeah. I wonder, um, both of you, Olivia and Robin, have you um, noticed, I don't know, there's been quite a lot of research on this from charismatic backgrounds, charismatic congregations. I feel like there's been a bit less on more established churches, but the, the issues are pretty much the same, or at least I'm finding the issues are pretty similar. Pretty look. I don't really know. I mean, the, the majority of people who took my survey and volunteered to be interviewed came from some form of evangelical or Pentecostal churches, predominantly charismatic evangelical. Yeah. Um, so I'm not quite sure. That was just out of interest. You can edit that out, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but if, yeah. if no, my, that is really interesting, yeah. If yeah. by more established churches, I mean, I would include, sort of certainly included in my research was the sort of charismatic end of the Church of England. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there were quite a few people who came from those types of churches. Um, but yeah. technically, it yeah. is a more established church. Premier Christian Newscast. Christian Newscast. I, I wanted something Robin said was really interesting to me about this idea that churches are, as you deliver as well, but they're quite rigid, can be quite inflexible, and they have this strong sense that you're either in and you're 100% in, or you're a not non-believer, a non-member, and you're 100% out. And there isn't really the space for people to be half in, half out, to just be listening at the back of church and not be asked or expected to like step up and plug in to the community. Do you think that's a that's a problem that that actually some of these people who left probably would have been able to stay if the churches had been more tolerant of divergence and uncertainty and, you know, people going on a journey and having doubts and struggles? Definitely. I think I think I think. Sorry, I think that's very true. I think from what I've heard that sometimes cathedrals have seen uh, increasing congregations purely because people can be anonymous and can sit at the back and enjoy the music and enjoy the liturgy and, and without any pressure upon them. Um, one of the interesting things about the Northumbria Celtic communities is one of the rules or one of the, the values they hold is what's called the heretical imperative which I thought was a fascinating phrase, which is basically the absolute necessity of asking honest questions, um, even doubting questions, uh, without the fear of being labelled or judged. And I think that can be very attractive for some people, certainly attractive to me, and it can be very threatening to other people who are looking for certainty and want abs absolutes. And so I think some churches are, are still growing and some of them are growing because of their their rigid adherence to certain doctrines and ways of doing things, and some people find that certainty very appealing. So this, I think, this is a quite a, a complex phenomena that's going on. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, certainly of those I spoke to who had come to faith later in life, um, they had all it had all been at a time of crisis, and I think the certainties of of those types of churches appealed or appeals, understandably, at a time of crisis. Uh, we want, you know, we want certainty. Um, 
yeah it's I, and i think it's very hard to stay within a system like that though when you do start asking honest questions when you do start pushing the boundaries um and and people being told they had a, a spirit of rebellion and this kind of thing and it's um i think there's often a sort of a contrast between a church which perhaps looks very um i suppose laid back trendy cool on the surface but enforces rigid structure and a lack of questioning and then perhaps a more a traditional church which looks very formal and you know robes vestments perhaps you know more high church as well on the surface but actually allows for a diversity of thought and um, a diversity of theologies and questioning and that kind of thing and it was something which one of my interviewees really remarked on she said you know my old church is a um is a very modern jacket. It's like someone wearing a very modern jacket with a very traditional message. And my new church is like someone wearing a very traditional jacket with a very modern message, which I thought was a lovely way of putting it. Hmm. I think at the heart of this conversation is, is we're trying to work out what does it mean to belong, hmm. you know, and um, to, to belong anywhere. Does that mean you have to conform or can you belong in a looser way? Can you belong and be fully yourself? Do you, do you know? Th these are the kind of questions I found myself struggling with, and um, other people that I've talked to. You know, th the whole question of being part of a community is at the heart of what all this is all about. And I think there's a difference between belonging and fitting in. You know, there's there's yes. a there's a belonging, and of course, you know, we allow the communities, all communities that we're in, to mould us as well. But I think when being in a, in any space is a matter of trying to, you know, fit yourself into a space that maybe doesn't fit, that's very different to just belonging um, in a in a more holistic sense, in a deeper sense. Katie, did you want to come in on that? No, no, that's okay. That's good. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask, which came up a bit earlier, is is this idea of leaving church doesn't necessarily mean rejecting the idea of belief in itself, and that there will be plenty of people who are not attending a church but would still be very happily to kind of claim the label of Christian, whatever, however you define that. Does anyone want to talk about about that distinction and whether that is how common is it for someone to to leave church but say, do you know what, I actually you know, church left me, I'm, I'm still a Christian, but I just can't be part of this particular kind of corporate expression of it anymore. Yeah, that's most of the people I'm talking to at the moment um, will still call themselves Christian, but just won't be attending a church. Um, and they're living, I mean, I've, I've mentioned earlier that a lot of them are struggling and they've had difficult moments as they've been going through that um, kind of process of leaving. But a lot of them have really beautiful stories about you know, the continuation of their faith and the things that they do to practice. And it's so diverse. So yesterday I was talking to someone who does um, kind of like spiritual drumming as he's part of a drumming circle. Um, I've had people talk about spending time in nature or doing different things with their bodies, kind of as Olivia was talking about before, like reclaiming their bodies through meditation or yoga and things like that. Um, the story that hit me the hardest so far, it was just a really beautiful story. It was a, a person who said to me, I've spent my whole life 
um, in the church, giving everything to the church. And on a Sunday now, what I do is I just sit with my family and we just eat breakfast together. And it was just such a simple story. But he said, oh, it's changed my life. And I thought, that's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? And he said, honestly, I felt more um, spiritually just from spending time with my kids and my dogs and everything. And I just thought that was amazing. So I would say there, um, if we want to talk about numbers, so far I've surveyed over 500 people and most of them are still Christians. Um, and that number is increasing all the time. So I imagine there's a lot of people um, there's a lot more people like that. Hmm. Yeah. We're often told that, Christ- or at least, you know, the expressions of faith that I've grown up in were kind of told that Christianity is, an, is a kind of inextricably communal experience and that, you know, you shouldn't believe the lie, as it were, that you can be a Christian but not go to church because to be a Christian means being part of a community, means being not doing it solo. I wonder how you guys would respond to that argument or that kind of strain of theological thinking. I'm not allowed to swear, am I? <laughs> <laughs> we try keep it a family-friendly podcast on yeah. the whole. Keeping it family-friendly, I, I, I'll be honest, I used to think the same. I used to think, how do people do that? How do they have faith outside of a community that's helping them? And what I'm finding is people genuinely do. And I've spoken to a lot of people who not only do they still have faith, but their faith has actually matured or strengthened as a result of being out of church. Now, I'm not sure what to say just yet about the whole idea that you need a community. But if I believe the people who are speaking to me, what they're telling me is their community is elsewhere. So they're finding little pockets of community with their family or their friends or, you know, other places that they go to. Um, and actually, I think Olivia said this earlier, there's something church-shaped about that because it gives them the space to encounter God still but just not within a church building. Nodding your head, Olivia. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. And I think one of the difficulties with, one of the good things and the difficulties with church is that it tends to provide people with very cohesive community. Um, you know, you've got community on tap, you've got your friends right there. And because it often demands so much time and energy, um, an awful lot of volunteering, that kind of thing, it does mean that people often find either that they simply don't have the time and the energy for other forms of community outside of church, or in some cases that they are explicitly discouraged from having community outside of church. So it means that when people leave, they often feel like, but my whole life is there, you know, and, and that was one of the things that a lot of people said took them so long to leave it was that belonging, it was that community, and also a sense of where am I going to find community now, or having been told, well, you know, the people outside, I mean, I, I grew up being told the people outside church, they're all, they're all miserable, you know, they, they put on a happy face, but actually, they, they, they're all, they're all depressed, and their lives are empty, and this kind of thing, which is a shockingly arrogant thing to say, um, and I think people, leave church and realize actually gosh now I have so much more time for my family for my friends for my community you know my my local community um or perhaps you know the community I've found in the bike club or or whatever um and yeah there is that finding of community elsewhere um in in a way which perhaps church um sometimes doesn't allow for uh- just to, to jump into this conversation, um, 
again is to do with language for me. It, there's there's a phrase I can't remember which part of the New Testament is about you know the world, the flesh, and the devil, and I've heard over the years many times the world is referred to in, in negative terms. You know we're not like the world. We have a different set of values to the world, and therefore the world is in a category of bad, and we're in the church in a category of good. And I've, I've always listened to that and found that deeply unhelpful because um, my experience of people in the world is often a lot of kindness and a lot of a lot of goodwill, a lot of philanthropy and love and gentleness. And uh, there isn't this hard demarcation between the world and us. And I think people who leave church very often have a yearning for spirituality and a longing for God in however way they they depict that or conceive of God. I don't think the spiritual yearning disappears very frequently. It just they just feel it can't be satisfied within that type of Christian community, that kind of Christian expression, and therefore they find it elsewhere. Um, and I, as I've said, I, I, I'm of a certain stage of life where I can join something called the University of the Third Age, the U3A. And then if you come across the U3A, absolutely stunning organization. Um, and so there's, for example, uh, the Ramblers. We go hiking in the Mourn Mountains and there's 20 people and most of them are over 80. And they don't realize they're over 80. They just keep walking for hours. And most of them have grown up in church and they just love being outside. And there's a sense of community there and beauty. And for me, complete inspiration. I'm like, gosh, I hope I'll be like that when I'm 80. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I, I don't think when people leave church, they lose faith automatically. They just want to find another way of expressing that faith, another another forum for searching for faith. And but when you were a vicar, Robin, thinking back, how would you have felt if one of your parishioners or congregants comes up to you and says, do you know what, Reverend, no offence, but um, I'm still a believer, I still have faith, but actually this church is not doing it for me, this is a hindrance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away. Would you have attempted to persuade them otherwise? Would you have been concerned about them or would you have said, you go with my blessing? The latter, I, honestly, I would have said, you go with my blessing. You, know, you go with what it, what fits you at this stage of life. Um, uh, and some people were very annoyed with me in church because I didn't use churchy language. You never mentioned sin, Robin. <laughs> you know, why don't you talk about sin? And I said, because we don't understand what the word means. None of us really understand what it means very well, so I'm not going to use it. And some people found that deeply attractive and some people found that deeply annoying um, and walked away, you know. So you have both kinds of, you know. But I, I never tried to persuade someone to stay, ever. Um, and one of my close friends came to see me, a German man came to see me and said, I've just come to say, Robin, that I don't believe any of this anymore, none of it, and I'm leaving church but I still would love to remain your friend. And we're friends to this day. And it's just wonderful. 
for those of us who are still in the church listening to this conversation, the, the obvious question I think in our minds is, well, what can we do to help people, prevent people, persuade people to, to not give up on church? Because presumably we still think it's it's a worthwhile endeavour. Do you guys, from your perspective, is that a helpful conversation that the church should be having? To be thinking, let's listen to these stories and our response to them should be to, to reshape how we do church so that fewer people feel the need to leave. Is that a conversation that should be having that we should be having? I think so, yes. I do. I think um I think I mean I've like in preparation for this conversation I thought what what is it people are looking for? And of course you can't be too generalized about this. I've put down and I don't know whether the rest of you would agree with this, but I think people are looking for a non-judgmental, safe place to belong. They're looking for a place to be seen. They're looking for acceptance, a place to explore faith in the company of others without pressure or judgment. They're looking for kindness, mystery, creativity, an absence of hierarchy and power, all these kind of things people are looking for. And if they find them in the church, then I think they might be persuaded to stay. But if they feel there's power plays going on and people resisting because of tradition and, you know, just irritability about change, I think they just can't be bothered with it anymore. Yeah. Maybe I'll start off and I'll sound a bit negative, but um, I really didn't go into my research to be missional at all or to get people back into church. That's never been my... um, that's never been my goal um and I think as I do the research that solidifies quite significantly only because I think everything Robin is talking about is correct and I also think we have some pretty serious structural issues in the church that will not change overnight and so sometimes for people it's actually safer for them to not be in church and so having that kind of compassion that Robin described earlier where you can say to people I understand maybe actually the church isn't for you just now, that can be better than overriding that sense of tradition or those values of what is right. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me, but I'm doing air <laughs> quotes. Um, of what is right, because sometimes you have to look at the person and say, look, you are having problems being in this church or problems have been created around you and you know, you're you not being supported or you're not being listened to or you're having these traumatic um, experiences in your body. You can't be here. That's actually the kinder thing to do is to say, maybe you need to just be out of the church for a while. And as I'm finding, a lot of people are actually, um, oh, well, somebody said to me the other day, I'm pitching my tent um, in the wilderness outside of the church. Like, I don't want to go back. I'm here now and I don't need to go back. And I think there's something really kind of hopeful about that um so I think there's hope outside of the church and so my answer would be no we don't necessarily have to force people back in um if we were going to bring people back in as as Robin says we need to do it in a way that is helpful um and listen listen really carefully to what they have to say Mm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I I think, unfortunately, Robin's approach is so rare of actually people, you know, being sent on their way with with blessings. Um, And, you know, I I think, unfortunately, church has become too unsafe for a lot of people, um, or they just need some space to think uh, without having things sort of reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. Um, 
I think should we be changing the church? I mean, ideally, yes, but but can we? Um, mm-hmm. And I I think that's a bigger question. And I think that a lot of that comes down to broader institutional practices. Um, and that's, you know, in this country, we sort of can often default to the Church of England. But, you know, we have far more churches than just the Church of England, far more denominations than just the C of E in, in England or your Church of Scotland, etc. Um, and I think that it is, you know, to say, can we change all of them? Can we change controlling practices? Can we change the silencing of um, abuse claims? Can we, you know, that's sort of hit the headlines this year. And, and it, it seems that we're not doing very well on it, really, despite decades of this stuff coming to light. Um, so unfortunately, I kind of, I, I see individuals in the church who I think provide hope and who provide a way forward and who are not controlling and who are not um, manipulative, etc. But I also see huge problems of control and politics and hierarchies, etc. And I have no idea how you go about changing something as big as that. Um, it, it almost, one of the people I interviewed, I interviewed quite a few clergy and one of them said, you know, there are days when I just wouldn't care if the whole institution burnt to the ground and we could just see what's left in terms of faith. Um, and he'd, he'd gone through an awful lot um, as as someone who was clergy and, and before that as someone who actually was in the same mission organization as I used to be in. Um, and he'd got to a point through sort of trauma and through physical uh, ill health of, of just saying, let it burn and let's see what's left. And I unfortunately think there are times when there are days when I feel like that's what we need to do. And yet there are other times I think, no, but this bit's really great. Hmm. Um, or, or those people are doing some fantastic work. I think the organizing power of religious organizations at a civil society level is phenomenal. If that can be used for good, that's an incredible capacity. Um, but the control of people's lives, the intrusion into people's lives, the traumatizing of people is is just devastating. I, I think that at the moment in the, in wider society, if churches are declining generally, and I think they probably are, that can produce a kind of defensiveness within church. Like we have to preserve this institution, we have to preserve these pews, these hymn books, these whatever whatever is that we used to have and is slipping through our fingers, we've got to hang on to it and fight for it. And then people can become, you know, less than gracious in their in, in their fight to preserve what they used to have. And then but I think as Olivia says, maybe there comes a time when you need to allow the church or parts of the church to wither away and die in order to for other expressions of faith to spring up um yeah. bit of and i remember perhaps, i remember once metaphor jesus used. well I, I well i remember once when i was very much influenced by the vineyard movement in the 1980s and 90s john wimber you know at the time when the vineyard movement was exploding and everyone was vineyard this and vineyard that and i remember john wimber said uh, the vineyard movement must die 
and he was quite prophetic in that. In other words, if we become obsessed with ourselves as a kind of narcissus and looking in, in the mirror at how, how successful we are, we've actually lost everything already. And we must allow this, this successful movement to die in order for it to remain authentic. Hmm. Just a final thought. Um, when I was reflecting on, on this conversation, I was thinking a lot about how churches, particularly the kind of evangelicalism that I come from, spend an awful amount of time, as you said, Katie, thinking missionally, thinking strategically about how can we bring people into the church? How can we grow the church through conversions and alpha courses and, and any other, anything else? And I wonder whether, do you think it is value in, in thinking about actually, if we could stem attrition, if we could um, address the reason people leave, that's actually as missional, as effective a strategy as, as you know, trying to bring new people in. I know it's not really what your research is about, but I mean, do you think churches should should reflect on that issue of like, actually, you can grow the church as much by, but not by converting new people, but by stemming the losses? I definitely, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, look at the people who are in your pews. Ask how they are. I mean, there's something about being in a church which is so outward looking and so missional all of the time and talking so much about growing their numbers that you start to think, hang on, I'm here. <laughs> like, do, you, do you not want me? Um, and that's definitely how I felt in the last church I was in before I left. It was constantly about numbers. And I just thought, I, and at the time I was having a really difficult time and my mum had been diagnosed with breast cancer and we were sitting in all these meetings talking about how do we grow, how do we do more events, all this sort of thing. And I was just thinking if one of you could take the energy to sit with me for five minutes and ask how I am, that would be more more impactful than anything um, that you're planning on doing in the future and all these hypothetical people that may or may not come. Um, and also I will say this as well, it was very much about young families. Um, so it was a real focus on younger families, which I felt was kind of ageist, kind of ableist. There was a lot of strangeness with that as well. Um, so yeah, focus on the people in your pews. They're there. Well, I would, I would agree with that, Katie. Yeah. I would turn the question round, Tim, and say not so much how can we stem the flow, but why should people stay? Mm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. What, what, what is it? that we've got that people should hold on to dearly what what is so attractive and beautiful about us hmm. that's how i would sort of reverse the question absolutely i would yeah. i would agree with that absolutely robin and and tellingly um well two two things one was um a neighbor of mine i was talking to the other day who had at one point thought of doing an alpha course um, and the vicar sort of said, oh, why do you want to do an alpha course? And she said, well, I just, yeah, I've got so many questions and blah, 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 blah. And they told her she couldn't do an alpha course because she might ask too many questions. Um, <laughs> but then <laughs> tellingly, so many people I spoke to seem to have found, um, and I would say this for myself, they seem to have found everything that they, that we were promised in church when we left and all the, the freedom and the joy and the peace and the love um, was there when we left, uh, which is so, horribly yeah. ironic. Um, so, it yes, why ironic. should people stay? Yeah. Hmm. It's ironic. Did you find, Olivia, as well, people seem so joyful in a way that I didn't expect, and I'm, I'm such a negative Nelly about it. I just thought people will be so traumatised and depressed having left the church but in so many ways people are rebuilding or remaking themselves 
in ways that are deeply spiritual and and yeah. I would say deeply Christian. Yeah, absolutely. And in ways which That's many of them never expected and often reclaiming things that the church told them they couldn't have. And that includes giftings, that includes hobbies they loved, that includes reconnecting, you know, say reconnecting with horses when they'd been told, oh, horses are an idol in your life or going down a career path, a really good career path, like nursing or something, when the church had told them you have to give up your your dreams for Jesus. And so they hadn't, you know, they hadn't become a nurse or things like that. I think people were really finding new new life um, and and refinding themselves in a way which was in many cases deeply spiritual, whether it was explicitly Christian or not. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it was just fantastic actually to see. And I think, and that included the faith deconstruction um, for, for those I interviewed and many of them had found it a very hard road to walk, but, you know, pretty much all of them said, but it's so worth it for the authenticity. It's so worth it. Hmm. Well, I think we should probably draw our conversation to a close there, guys. Um, we're approaching an hour, but it's been a really uh, fascinating, sobering, but fascinating time eavesdropping in, in your chat. So thanks so much for, for coming on the show and for sharing so uh, uh, honestly and, and vulnerably about your own stories and, and what you found. Thank you. I think it's been a really um, eye-opening and important conversation we need to be having so I'm grateful to all of you thank you Olivia Robin Katie I'll, I'll put some links about their work and their publications and writings if anyone listening wants to follow up on on their stuff um, please do and uh, we'll be back next week with another episode um, but until then bye-bye That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But before you go, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And why not tell a friend about the show too? And if you'd like even more church news analysis, you can also subscribe to my new free email newsletter, The Critical Friend. Each week, I send an email packed with links to interesting things happening in the church world and my commentary on them. Just visit tswyatt.substack.com to find out more and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast.